WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. Great to have you with us today as we celebrate New Hampshire Authors Week in partnership with the New Hampshire Writers Project, which is nhwritersproject.org. And uh, thanks to our good friend, Marcherie Chappelle, for helping us uh, put the entire week together. And we also want to thank our primary sponsor of the show, which is Northeast Delta Dental. And uh, joining us today is New Hampshire author Dan Pouliot. Dan, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Ken. It is uh, our pleasure indeed. And uh, just as a little bit uh, of background here, Dan is a New Hampshire native, earned his Bachelor of Fine Arts from UNH, and his digital works are in multiple permanent collections. He is vice chair of the New Hampshire Writers Project. His passion for positive thinking sets the stage for his debut young adult novel, Superhuman, published by Portal Star Publishing. Dan describes Superhuman as the karate kid meets escape to which mountain? <laughs> wow. You'll, you'll have to explain that one to us, uh, Dan. And uh, we mentioned uh, Masherie Chappelle, who has uh, been instrumental in putting this entire week together. And uh, she had quite an impact on your life. Uh, it's true. Masherie uh, was my writing coach for this uh, novel. Uh, the way it started is is that probably around 10 years ago, I, I had this idea that I wanted to write a book and I wasn't quite sure what it would be. And it took me about five years to land on the plot. I knew I wanted it. To, I was calling it science fiction at the time, YA science fiction. Um, and I had a whole lot of enthusiasm, excitement. I knew what it wanted to be, but I had zero experience whatsoever in the craft of writing. So I went out and I wrote and self-published a book in six months and I got um, really tepid reviews from friends and family. And um, I could read between the lines, and that told me that <laughs> I, I needed help. So I joined New Hampshire Writers Project. Um, I eventually met Masherie Chappelle. And, um, and just a little bit of, in terms of how we hooked up, um, I heard her say one day that she's an intuitive. And, well, I've had plenty of unusual experiences of my own, and I tried to incorporate them into this book, and I knew that I wanted to work with her. So, um, so that began a long journey of um, her teaching me the craft of writing. We, li we literally threw away the first edition, and she had me start at page one, and she taught me the craft of writing. We spent 60 Saturdays together, wow. and we became good friends uh, over the course of that period of time. And um, and the second edition is light years ahead of the first one, and I'm really proud of it. Well, that uh, that is terrific. And uh, Masheri, I, I know, has had an impact on uh, many of uh, our local authors, and uh, certainly we have applaud her for that what uh, you know what what do you do in in uh, in real life as they say <laughs> well in real life i've <laughs> i've been a web developer for the bulk of my career um right now i'm a software developer for liberty mutual insurance if you go there and, and it says get a free quote on auto insurance or home insurance well i work with a team of about 100 people who put that together so when did it hit you that you wanted to be a novelist well, uh, there's a two-part answer to that. Um, when I was in high school, I, um, my brother introduced me to Dungeons & Dragons. 
And I love Dungeons and Dragons. It was so much fun. It was this open adventure. You could go anywhere. And then he went off to college and I still wanted to play. And um, we didn't have a lot of money back in the 70s or uh, to drive to Laconia. I grew up in Franklin, by the way, um, to go and buy buy. Uh, campaigns. Well, the cool thing about Dungeons and Dragons is you can make your own. And so I started making my own uh, dungeons and I got really into it. I mean, I just have these and I still have them today, elaborate maps of worlds and continents and then counties and cities. And um, I've, I made six dungeons and I really wanted to tell a story in each one of them. They were all very unique and different. My friends had a great time. And um um, but I didn't know at that time that you could make a living doing that. I just did it for fun. And that should have been the clue to me. And it wasn't really until, you know, as as an adult, I would do blogging on the side, and I had a lot of fun with that. But, you know, that wasn't a career for me. And um, uh, eventually I just sort of put all my interests together and I said, you know what, I really I really want to try writing. So um, so that was about that was about 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, what have you written since that time? So, um, so what I've written was my debut novel. Uh, you've already talked about it, uh, Superhuman. It's mm-hmm. young adult supernatural fantasy. We can get into that in a bit. Yep. And right now, I'm, I'm, um, I just finished revising part one of the sequel. Um, uh, I don't have a name for it yet. And um, I expected, when I started writing, I expected the sequel to pick up where the first where the first book left off because you know you're following you're following the lives of these teenagers as they go through these remarkable adventures and um and I decided I wanted to write a scene about a seance that goes sideways. So I wrote this scene where it was a 12-year-old boy, and it was actually the villain from the first novel. And uh, his mother drags him on All Hallows' Eve to a seance at the basement of a community theater. And he really didn't want to have anything to do with it until the seance started going very, very badly. And, um, and then the kid was enthralled. The mother was mortified. Um, um, and I just wrote it as a scene because I thought it was fun. I showed it to Mashari. She like mwah, gave her chef's kiss of approval, <laughs> and we talked about it. And she said, "You know, I think the I think this is what the book is about. It's about the villain from the first movie. So the first book, his name is Mister Crone, and um, she's like, I think that's what the second book is about. It's about how he became who he became. Not the entire book, but uh, the first part. So I've I've spent forty thousand words." Um, Learning about how he went from being a young boy to sort of crumbling into the villain that he was in the first book. Now, in the one biography I, I read of you, are, uh, it, it says that you're, you're a tad psychic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I say that I came out of the closet on that probably about a decade ago. <laughs> Back in 2012, um, um, someone had told me. Someone had told me that the instruction manuals for the U.S. government's psychic spying program were now publicly available. They had been declassified in 1995. And if and if nobody know, if you don't know, um, the U.S. government did have a psychic spying pro, psychic spying program from about 1970 to 1995, and um, the way it started was uh, the government came to these uh, Stanford. Uh, physicists and said, you know, we hear that the Russians are engaging in psychic spying and we would like you to 
do some um, do some um, create some scientific studies so that you can tell us that there's no such thing as ESP and then we can just write this off of our list. And they said, sure, we know how to do studies. So these laser physicists, they came up with these studies. And, um, and over and over again, they found these anomalies that they couldn't represent, that, that they, could, they couldn't explain. And that started the government's, um, the government's remote viewing program. It was often, it was under multiple names as it, as it changed hands, but it was uh, often referred to as Project Stargate. So I did learn, I did receive some training in the official government controlled remote viewing program in 2012, and it blew my socks off that it actually worked. And, um, and I had to really come to grips with the fact that I had always thought of myself as a scientific person and my mother had always um, been interested in those sorts of topics. But at the end of the day, I was like, ah, I don't know if I really wanna believe this um, because it's just it's not conventional. And then after having, having, having tried this for myself and had incontrovertible proof, I just had to say, yeah, this is real. And so that's sort of become part of my life, and it's worked into my books. Well, I, I guess it has. And uh, you uh, are you working on one right now, another one? Yeah, so so um, the sequel is, um, is the one that I was talking about. It's The Villain right. is a Young Man. Mm-hmm. And um, so that takes up about the first, uh, I'll say, half of the book. And then the second half of the book is going to pick up where the last book left off because – because the teenagers, so the, the protagonist, his name is Will Freeman, and he is part of a trio. Uh, Lily and Russell are his two good friends. And um, throughout the course of the book, they get into a whole lot of, uh, they get into a whole lot of trouble and they end on a cliffhanger. So I need to uh, figure out how that cliffhanger resolves, and I don't know the answer to it yet. I, I was going to ask you uh, what your writing process was. Do you uh, have an outline? Do you have uh, everything worked out in advance or it, whatever strikes you along the way in that writing process? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I started out, remember, I had no experience whatsoever, right? Just a lot of enthusiasm. I thought I was going to plot it out. Now, I told you I work for a software company yep, yep. and software companies really know how to plot stuff out. They'll get out big boards and get out sticky notes and they'll just be a board full of sticky notes to how to connect everything together. I was doing the same thing in my basement. I had this giant board and sticky notes and I plotted the heck out of it. And um, um, well, the story had no, it had no room for spontaneity. And once I met with Masheri, she sort of untaught me that habit. Yeah. And um, and so now uh, uh, her, her mantra is just write the scene that's in front of you. There you go. Our guest on uh, this chapter of uh, New Hampshire Authors Week is Dan Pugliotta, New Hampshire author. And uh, we are doing this in partnership with the New Hampshire Writers Project, NewHampshireWritersProject.org. And uh, again, Thanks to uh, Masheri Chappelle, who has been instrumental in uh, putting it all together. We also want to thank our primary sponsor of the program, which is Northeast Delta Dental. We will take a break and be back and hear more from uh, Dan Pouliot right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Gail and Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are right in the middle of New Hampshire Authors Week on WKXL in partnership with the New Hampshire Writers Project. And we also want to thank our primary sponsor of this program, which is Northeast Delta Dental. 
Dan Pouliot is with us today, and Dan is a New Hampshire native, studied fine art at UNH. And uh, just divert here for a moment and, and tell us about your, your digital works that are uh, in multiple permanent collections. So tell us about that aspect of your life. Yeah, so um, so there was a time um, when I was really trying to make it as a fine artist. Well, I mean, on the side, right? Because surviving as a fine artist, like making that be a career, it's it's not easy. You have to really, you have to really devote yourself. So I would do that uh, evenings and weekends. Mm-hmm. And I, I got into, you know, I started out um, really loving representative art. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I sort of got into abstraction and then I got into digital manipulation, which is, you know, you start with a photograph and then you bring it into Photoshop and then you manipulate it until it's no longer recognizable. <laughs> and so I, I did that and I had a show of that work and that work made it into uh, the University of New Hampshire. They have their own um, they have their own gallery in their permanent collection, and they were um, were gracious enough to accept one of my works into per- their permanent collection. And also, uh, SNU, um, the, the the person who ran their collection at the time was also a writer for Art New England, and he came to my show and he did a write up in Art New England, and he was very very favorable about it. So I was very proud to receive that. So then I was in Snooze Permanent Collection. I also worked for a a boutique hotel slash museum in D.C. for about seven years. They were called the Mansion on O Street and the O Street Museum Foundation. And uh, they also have one of my one of my pieces. Wow. So you uh, you have uh, uh, quite a bit of work uh, all over. Um, I, I do, and I would love to get back to it at some point, but my current love right now is writing, and um, I actually feel like I'm behind the eight ball. I, I actually had a mystery headache that sort of uh, made it so that I couldn't write for a year, and so I feel like I'm a year behind schedule, and so I spend every spare moment I can writing. Well, and uh, you do it voraciously, I'm sure. Now, do you dedicate a certain period of time every day uh, to writing, or uh, how, how does it work for you? Uh, so basically, I were I write on the weekends, and I like to write right when I wake up in the morning. Uh, the world hasn't really gotten into my head yet, so I can still keep myself in this sort of um, um, state of fun. Um, I don't really do much writing during the week because I do have a day job. Um, although I do like to, um, when I'm lying in bed at night, I find that ideas just come into my head. My wife has a, has a regular habit of saying, what are you doing? Because I sit up in bed and I'm like tapping on my phone. I was like, oh, I'm writing. A scene just came to me. <laughs> Well, uh, so we've talked to a number of authors this week and and in the past, and most of them do say they like to get up early in the morning and do it. I, you know, I think it depends on whether you're a morning person or an evening person. I don't really think that I'm much much of either, but I I like to think that um, by... Well, I should say it another way. By the end of the day, my head is so filled with the concerns of the day that it's hard for me to break away from that yep. and be creative. So in the morning, uh, I haven't yet I haven't yet um, filled my head up with all of my concerns yet. So what do you enjoy most about about writing? 
Um, I am someone whose head is full of thoughts and I needed uh, a way to get them out. And um, writing has finally given me a way to get all of those thoughts out. It also helps channel channeling because my thoughts were sort of, um, I had a lot of thoughts about, well, let me put it this way. Um, good mental hygiene, what sort of mental habits can we do to maximize our own our own well-being and our own lot in life and stuff like that? And I've given that a, a ton of thought in the past 30 years, and I would do various blogs, which of course nobody nobody reads blogs. And then I realized I realized I wonder if I could I wonder if I could sort of hide this stuff in a good, fun, supernatural fantasy story. And so, um, so that's when, I've, when I started doing that. And I absolutely love it because it gives me one place that I can channel it all. And not only that, it gives me a world and a plot and a scene and a character who's dealing with a very specific situation. And then I can say, how would this situation, or how would those things that I was just talking about, how would they apply to this character in this situation? And it becomes a wonderful little thought experiment. And my mind gets going, and and um, I find myself coming up with interesting answers. And so, yeah. Do you find it a learning experience? I mean, you, you have to do a certain amount of research to, to put these, uh, these books together. Uh, do you find it a learning experience? Um, it's been a learning experience in a couple of ways. Uh, the first I'll say is we're doing this second book. Um, well, let me put it this way. The series, the series occurs in New Hampshire. It's in a fictional, fictional town called Rockfield. But um, it talks about real places like Pawtuckaway and, um, and other stuff like that. And I really liked incorporating mm-hmm. New Hampshire because I'm, I'm, I've been here all my life and I love New Hampshire. And I'd like to do for New Hampshire what uh, Stephen King did for Maine. There you go. Um, so for the second book, I had, to, I had to figure out how to get a character from Albany, New York in 1888 to Mount Monadnock. And so I did a lot of research into how they would do that. And, I, and the internet was wonderful. I ended up finding all of these really highly detailed, high-resolution train maps from Albany to wow. throughout New Hampshire that I could zoom way in on, and I could see exactly the stops he would take along the way. I learned about the halfway house in Jaffrey, New Hampshire, that was a hotel that was halfway up Mount Monadnock that um, people used to go and visit in the summer times. And even Ralph Waldo Emerson would stay there. And he wrote a poem called Monadnock uh, based on his stays there. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of learning. I also learned about uh, this, this place called Hoosick Tunnel in Massachusetts. Now, it was built in the 1870s. About 100 men died when it was built. And it turned out it was the second longest tunnel in the world at the time that it was built. So it was really wow. a modern marvel. And it's it, the Hoosick Tunnel is still there. You can't use it. It's defunct and it's closed down, but it's still there. And it I, is still there. It is still there. And I would like to drive by it and, and see the entrance to it. What, what part of Massachusetts is it in? So it is uh, northwest part of Massachusetts. Now, my character had to had to take the train from Albany, New York, yeah. and then he cuts through a sliver of Vermont, the southwest sliver. Right. And then shortly after he gets over the border, um, there's the Hoosick River, which actually um, is also crosses into, into Vermont. And then the Hoosick Mountain, is, uh, the Hoosick Mountain Tunnel is in that vicinity. 
Wow, I, I had never heard of it. Yeah, and, yeah. And so you, you probably wouldn't have either if you hadn't done the research, Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I found it fascinating. Yeah. And you know, what what I what else I thought was funny is I never really thought my, of myself as someone who would be interested in the 1800s. I just didn't, like I, I have a sci-fi, my interests are sci-fi, so my head yeah. is always in the future. Yeah. And um, I was initially reluctant to start writing in the 1800s, but I really got into it. I had to, because I had to learn like, what are the wardrobes? I had to do all this yeah. search about wardrobes and see what women wore and what men wore and what did you wear to funerals and what were the what were the the customs around funerals and stuff like that and so it was it was really fascinating. I'll, I'll bet it was. So yeah. it, it's a, I think every writer I've talked to has said that uh, you know putting together uh, whether it be uh, nonfiction, fiction, sci-fi, you name it. Uh, they all find it a learning experience yeah. that you know in doing their extensive research, and I don't think uh, a lot of people have the appreciation for the amount of. Uh, time uh, devoted to researching a book. Oh, it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. Yeah, you can spend in order for me to write one sentence in the 1880s. Yeah, in the 1880s. <laughs> I might yeah. have to spend hours doing research just to make sure that that sentence right sentence right. But you know, there's another piece uh, in terms of the learning experience. I wanted to write a really authentic, believable story about I'll say two characters in particular. There's the villain um, and then there's this other character. Remember, I said it was it was um, the Karate Kid meets Escape to Witch yes. Mountain. Yes. Okay. So Will Freeman he goes on this sort of uh, Escape to Witch Mountain type adventure in which he learns he has abilities, and then he meets a, a guru similar to Mr. Miyagi, and this guru needs to explain to him how to how to unlock his his abilities, and it's all about powers of the mind attention, intention, expectation. So I've had to write about a villain and, th and then I've had to write about this elevated being, uh, this angelic being who is talking to Will. And I've had to put my mind in how is it that someone becomes really bad? And then how is it that someone is really good and what might they say? And so that's been a learning experience too. And we'll learn more about uh, Dan Pouliot coming up right after these words on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. It is New Hampshire Authors Week on WKXL in partnership with the New Hampshire Writers Project, nhwritersproject.org. And we also want to thank our primary sponsor of this program, Northeast Delta Dental. Back with more, we'll chat uh, with Dan Pouliot coming up after these words on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Stay with us. Welcome back, Kale and Company Live, right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. It is New Hampshire Authors Week, and uh, very pleased to be partnered with the New Hampshire Writers Project. And uh, thanks to uh, Masheree Chappelle for uh, her great work in putting it all together. And we also want to thank our primary sponsor of the show, Northeast Delta Dental. And our New Hampshire author of the day is Dan Pouliot who has written a book called Superhuman. And uh, Dan, just give us a little uh, a capsule synopsis of uh, what Superhuman is all about. Sure. I'll read from the back cover. At the crossroads of supernatural and human potential, an anxious teen finds a mystical world within himself, unleashing powers he didn't know he had. 
Will Freeman is more anxious than other teens when his new friend Lily Powers invites herself over and the two go treasure hunting in his attic. They discover a peculiar change purse that belonged to Will's father. Lily accompanies Will as he sets out to learn about the change purse and his father's disappearance. After a stranger approaches Will and Lily in a supermarket and promises answers to Will's questions, a string of inexplicable events makes Will question his sanity. His fears come crashing in on him when Lily is abducted by the AU, the agents of Unchange, who are equipped with futuristic weaponry. They are looking for the one person who embodies the ability to open infinity. Amidst a backdrop of supernatural chaos, Will discovers he is superhuman. Very good. Very good, and uh, it would help if I turn my microphone on. And uh, that, of course, uh, is the book that has been described as uh, The Karate Kid Meets Escape to Witch Mountain. And uh, having, uh, having that in mind, uh, Dan, would you like to uh, read a passage of, uh, of the book for us? I would love to. I'd love to read the opening scene. It's about five minutes. Does that sound okay? Sounds good to me. All right. Okay, part one, discovery. Extraordinary claims. The cave you you fear enters the treasure you seek. Joseph Campbell. The tap, tap, tap on the car roof announces the coming deluge. June's darkening afternoon sky makes escape that much harder. The rain hitting the roof escalates into a roar. Headlights flash on, revealing a sea of tiny dancing ripples as the driving rain strikes standing water on the road. Are you nuts? W.J.'s mother says. I'm not crazy, W.J.'s father replies. Screech! Slow down, you crossed the line again. You're going to get us killed. Billy, Jesus! Screech! The high beams of a vehicle illuminate the back of W.J.'s parents' heads. His mother's fingers reach to double-check his seat belt and booster seat, feeling the buckle at his navel. The high beams from behind brighten. The harsh light forces her to squint. Too bright, W.J. calls out. W.J., cover your eyes for Mommy. Don't uncover them until I let go of your shoe. W.J. slaps his hands over his eyes. He feels the pressure of his mother's left hand on the toe of his right sneaker. The car swerves hard to the right, pressing W.J.'s shoulder into the rear driver's side door. You're going too fast, Billy, Mary says. You can't see. Turn off the high beams. The rain is making it worse. Bang! W.J.'s neck snaps back against the seat from the jolt of being rear-ended. What the hell? Oh my God, Billy! Hold on, W.J. I'm sorry I brought this upon us. Look out! Something immense glides over the hood. A wing swipes the rain from the windshield. Billy jerks the wheel to the right. W.J.'s head snaps to the left. The high beams disappear. The interior goes dark. What was that? W.J.'s mother says. A bird, his father says. Birds don't fly in storms. That one does. W.J.'s mother's mother's eyes meet his. Hold on, W.J., we're almost home. She twists to check him and glances out the back window. Billy, they're gone. No, they're not. I know them. His mother studies the road behind them. No, they're not there. Where did they go? Oh, my God, Billy, the bird is still here. W.J. looks out his window. Even through the pelting rain, the majestic flyer is keeping pace alongside the car. A yellow eye stares at W.J., bobbing with each flap of the bird's wings. 
I'd rather a bird than them, his father says as he steals a glance at W.J. and then the bird. Why won't they leave us alone? You told them no, didn't you? It's because I told them no. Vroom. The sound penetrates W.J.'s entire body. It feels like the time he stuck a screwdriver in a socket trying to fix things like Daddy. The car jostles to the right. What was that, she says. I told you they're still after us. Vroom. The car fishtails it. It is shoved off the road. The rear passenger tire spits gravel and a spray of rocks pelts the undercarriage. W.J. presses his hand hard against his ear, his hands hard against his ears and closes his eyes tight. It's loud, Mama. Make it go away. W.J. hold on. His mother claws the air for his shoe. Vroom! Bang! A burst of white dust from the deployed airbags fills the car as its hood slams into a tree stump flanked by clusters of saplings at the bottom of a ditch. The reflection of their car's headlights on the brush reveals his mother's hair draped across her airbag. Through the slackening rain, a witness stands silent outside. Tall, head cocked, a great blue heron stares into W.J.'s window. It begins to gently peck at the window with its long, thin, yellow beak, but suddenly stops. The heron cranes its neck to locate the source of the crunching of footsteps on gravel. Mary, Mary! W.J. sees his father shaking his mother by the shoulder. The dashboard and headlights flicker. W.J.'s father presses the car horn and the bird takes off. Mary, W.J.'s father says. His mother stirs. God, help us. Billy, she says, what's happening? Oh, my God, Mary, you're bleeding. The car jostles again, then a shattering of glass, sudden and loud like a wave crashing against 10,000 tiny bells. W.J.'s mother screams and shields her face as glass shards pepper the interior. No, 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 no! Mary, run! Billy, no! W.J. bursts into tears. Tattooed hands reach through the shattered windshield and grab his father. His mother swats at the hands. With one hard yank, W.J. watches as the bottoms of his father's shoes disappear through the windshield opening. Billy, no, no, no. His mother struggles to open the car door but can't. Billy, Billy. The patter of rain on the car and his mother's whimpers fill the eerie silence. She turns back to check on W.J. Her face is dazed and disheveled. W.J., oh my God. W.J., I'm coming, she cries. Through, her te- through his tears, he watches her struggle to open the door. Let me out, she twists her seat in her seat to kick at the door window with both feet several times, but only succeeds in cracking it. His mother scrambles in her seat as she turns to reach for him. Her face, dusted with white powder from the airbag, mingles with her blood and hair, making her appear more zombie than mother. W.J. screams at her grotesque appearance. There's two paragraphs left. Okay. W.J., W.J., it's okay. I'm here. We're okay, she says as, as she squeezes her way between front seats to the front seats to join him. W.J., it's okay. I'm going to get us out of here. We have to get out, out of the car, she says frantically as her fingers fumble with the buckle on his booster seat. The straps of his seat belt slacken as she releases the buckle and pulls him into her arms. Hold mommy tight. Close your eyes and don't let go, she orders. W.J. grabs his mother's neck and clamps his eyes shut. His body jiggles in her lap as she fumbles with the rear door handle. A gush of cool, damp air fills the car. W.J. clings to his mother as she steps out of the car and into the ditch. Rain clouds, having given up their load, calm to a drizzle. 
W.J. lifts his head from her neck and opens his eyes, only to be blinded by a flood of light. W.J., don't look, his mother warns. W.J., 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 bloop. W.J., time to wake up. That is terrific. And, boy, you, you do the sound effects very well, too. It comes that, from my theater background uh, oh, and there, my Dungeons oh, & Dragons. Ah, there you go. <laughs> well, I knew it had to be something like that, right? Uh, that That is terrific. And, uh, again, the uh, the book is Superhuman. And, again, it's been described as – did you make this up, Karate Kid? Uh, meets Escape to Witch Mountain? I did, and okay. Mashari approved. Okay. All right. Well, as long as uh, Mashari approves, that's the important thing, yeah. right? Yeah. But that was terrific. Are you doing uh, an audio book of it? Um, I I probably will at some point. Um, uh, because I'm an indie, an indie publisher, or, well, I should say published by a small press, um, I do have some flexibility to go back and make changes after it's been uh-huh. published. Yeah. So now that I'm working on book two and I'm 40,000 words into book two, I noticed if I made half a sentence change here and half a sentence change there in book one, it would, it would, it would tightened, tighten the series as a whole. So I actually plan on doing that. And so it's probably a good thing that I haven't um, spent the money on having the audiobook done yet. But, uh, boy, but if you do, you're the one who should read it. Uh, <laughs> tell tell Masha read that. I will. I will. <laughs> More than happy to. Dan Pouliot is with us, New Hampshire native. And uh, he's written a, the book called Superhuman, which you just heard a, a segment of. And it is New Hampshire Authors Week right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, in partnership with the New Hampshire Writers Project and Masherie Chappelle. And we also want to thank our primary sponsor of the show, which is Northeast Delta Dental. And, of course, Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at Delta Dental Covers Me. Back for our final segment today with Dan Pouliot right after these words. Kale & Company here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We welcome you back. It's New Hampshire Authors Week right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, in partnership with the New Hampshire Writers Project. And thanks to Amashari Chappelle for putting the week together. We also want to thank our primary sponsor, which is Northeast Delta Dental. And uh, joining us today, New Hampshire author Dan Pouliot. His book is Superhuman, Karate Kid Meets Escape to Witch Mountain. I, I want to ask you, uh, uh, Dan, uh, what's the toughest criticism uh, you've ever received mm. as an author, if mm. you if you have, in fact, I I have, and it was and it was the first edition. You'll remember the first edition I wrote I wrote by myself with no writing experience whatsoever. Well, uh, through an acquaintance of an acquaintance, somebody wrote a review under the promise that it would never get back to me. Well, it did get back to me, and this person was an author, and she wrote a, a very critical review. And she even said, I'm embarrassed to say it, she said, she said it sounds like it was written by a teenager. And, um, and, and it was really sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back for me when I said, I said, everything in this, I knew everything that she had said in her review was 100% correct. And I knew I needed help. And that's when I joined New Hampshire Writers Project. 
and the rest, as they say, is history. That's right. Yeah. So what about uh, the other side of the coin and, uh, and praise that uh, you've received? I've gotten some praise that I, uh, I'm really proud of. <clears throat> My editor actually said, she said, uh, she said uh, well, well done, Dan. You've written a job that's You've written a book that's gotten me thinking about how we view the world. And that's exactly what I set out to do. Yeah. Uh, I, another review, someone said, um, this is the best book that I've written, read all year. And that was actually well into the year. Um, and and another, another writer uh, said, uh, this book sounds like it could be an a, um, instruction manual for how to create psychic powers. Now, I'm not saying that it is, but I'm not saying that it isn't. Right. There you go. So what, uh, what advice would you give to uh, prospective writers? Well, um, if, if you're anything like me and you uh, uh, love to write, but you don't have any formal experience, I would say get yourself from some formal experience. Um, if you are uh, older and maybe you're not interested in going back to school, uh, New Hampshire's Writers New Hampshire Writers Project has been a fantastic resource for me. Um, become as involved as you can. Take classes. Um, New Hampshire Writers Project um, will set you up with a critique partner, so you can get critiques. Critiques. Uh, there are writers' nights out throughout the state of New Hampshire, and so you can attend those, and you can um, get feedback on your writing, and you can listen to other writers. So there's all. So there's there's these great communities within New Hampshire where you can where you can get assistance. Are there any specific aspects of writing that you? had to work on? What did Mashuri have to say? I mean, did it have to be more descriptive, uh, anything like that? Uh, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she taught me, she taught me character development. I mean, she taught me pacing, character development, how to begin a scene, how to transition from a scene to a scene, how to feel out a scene, how to listen to the characters and allow the characters to to guide you as to what happens next. Uh, but the very first thing that Mashri, I'll never forget, very first thing that, that she had me do on our very first session was she had me go on a virtual shopping spree to to buy a wardrobe for my characters because I was so af- I was so afraid to cloak my characters in something that I may um, end up ultimately regretting that I kind of didn't describe them much at all. So uh, that was very fun going to Amazon and imagining what would Will what would Will wear and then finding oh that's what Will would wear what would Lily wear. So that was great. Do you uh, relate to any of the characters that you developed uh, more than others? Do any remind them of yourself in any way? Um, Will Will Freeman um, is largely autobiographical. Uh-huh. He was an anxious teen. I was an anxious teen. He has had uh, very strange experiences happen to him. I've had strange experiences happen to me, and so I wanted to I wanted to create a, a highly fictionalized fantasy that is anchored in in reality based on experiences that I've had. Were you a uh, voracious reader when uh, you were younger? Um, when I was uh, in elementary school, the only the only book I can remember reading was Doc Savage, which was just really bad, like macho pulp fiction. Uh, I did read a, I did read a lot more in high school. I remember reading um, 
I would read Kurt Vonnegut. I would read uh, Tolkien. Um, uh, and uh, I, my favorite author was um, Richard Bach, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Although, interestingly, um, I didn't read the book at first. We had a record album, which was Sir Richard Harris reading uh-huh. Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And I would lie in my bedroom with the lights off, with the big headphones on, and just listen to his wonderful voice as he read the story. And it had a profound in- impact on me. And if anyone hasn't read it, it's, a, it's really sort of an allegory about um, how you don't – it's okay if you don't um, – if you're not part of the crowd, it's okay to be different, and it's okay to think bigger thoughts. And uh, I really felt very validated by that. And especially, I guess, with uh, Richard Harris reading it. Yeah, and uh, and and so people would know Richard Harris. Um, he's played Dumbledore in yeah, Harry Potter series. Right? Uh, the yeah. late late Richard Harris. Yeah, and, and he, he also uh, sang MacArthur Park. Mm. Do you remember that? I don't. No. Well, as a former disc jockey, I do remember it well because it ran like seven minutes and forty nine seconds, oh. and that was a. We we could take a little break there uh, when we played MacArthur Park by Richard Harris, but that's a, a terrific song written by uh, Jim Webb. Mm. Uh, what do you uh, What do you like to do uh, in your spare time if you have any? Um, yard work. I really enjoy getting my hands in the soil. I have a small garden that is that my father would be embarrassed to look at because my father was a great gardener. He had a garden that was probably a, a quarter acre, and uh, my my garden is maybe uh, ten by twenty, and uh, it, it, it's sloppy. But I really enjoy getting my hands in the soil. I enjoy watching things grow. Um, I probably enjoy the the flowers more than the vegetables. But yeah, yeah, well, that, that that's that's terrific. Uh, have you ever experienced writer's block? Uh, sure. I mean, I think less less than I used to. Um, you know, Mashri's advice of just write the scene that's in front of you has been really helpful. Even if I sit down and I have no idea what the scene's going to be, I just get quiet. I sort of like uh, almost like when you're mindful and you let those thoughts kind of drift away. And then eventually you'll he- I might hear a, a sentence or I might imagine a visual or something like that. But the other thing that helps me with writer's block is um, to just walk away, uh, go- take a nap, take a shower, go for a walk in the woods. Those are some of the most productive places for me creatively. Yeah, we talked to a, a woman from uh, who was calling in yesterday from Colorado uh, who said the same thing, that uh, she would go out and take a, a walk in the woods, and then uh, that would uh, get her going again. Yeah. So I guess the yeah. same is, is true for you. And I bring my phone, too, because I've noticed there has been times that I would not bring my phone. I would come up with it, what I thought was wonderful, and I'd get back to the house, and it's completely gone. Yeah, so you've got to bring that phone with yep. you to yep. capture those thoughts. Yep. Yeah. So have uh, any true life experiences impacted your writing? Oh, so many. So many. Um, I I alluded to the whole psychic part. You know, I had uh, I had out of body experiences as a teenager. Um, I've had plenty of psychic experiences. I've had uh, all sorts of really strange experiences that I suppose if I go into too many of them, it'll be a little bit of spoilers on there. Now, um, um, the book has quite a bit of fantasy in it, but I wanted it to be grounded in reality. So there is some of that in there. And the book is Superhuman. I want to put in one last bit. You go uh, right ahead, Which is that um, 
uh, for New Hampshire residents, you can pick up you can pick up a signed copy of my book at Gibson's Bookstore in Concord. Um, we're, I'm so excited that you support local authors and Gibson support local authors and please support local bookstores. That they do. Have you made an appearance at Gibson's yet? I'm actually on my way to go. I right after this, I'm going to go sign sign those copies. Very good. And so uh, they will be available. Uh, right now at uh, Gibson's and Dan Pouliot, uh, great to have you with us today here today as we celebrate New Hampshire Authors Week on WKXL along with the uh, New, Hi- uh, New Hampshire Writers Project and uh, the great work that uh, Masherie Chappelle and uh, you do there. So we, we thank you for that. Thanks for having me, Ken. That'll do it for this edition of Kale and Company here on WKXL as we celebrate New Hampshire Authors Week in partnership with the New Hampshire Writers Project. Have a great day, everyone.